Habakkuk 2. So we're continuing tonight in the series in Habakkuk. And we're going to read this together. Please do pass it down. Fantastic. Let's read together. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by faith. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest. Because he is as greedy as the grave and like death and is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Because you have plundered many nations, the people who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood, you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes as a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labour is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbours, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will feel shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming round to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of our animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood, you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman, or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Why don't we pray together? Lord, thank you for your word. But we just acknowledge before you that it, it is challenging. But I pray tonight that it would test us and that you would speak to us through it. So Lord, I pray you'd help me and I pray you'd open all our hearts to hear what you are saying to us. Amen. Amen. So I just want you to unleash your inner Pentecostal for a second. And if I were to say to you, God is good, what would you reply? All the time. Okay, we're going to try again, okay? God is good. And all the time. Oh, yes. Doesn't that feel excellent? It's great truth. God is good all the time. God is good. Psalm 119 says, you are good and what you do is good. That is the truth to live your life by. Get it tattooed on your forehead. Attach it to your cat. Get one of those lovely Instagram signs. You know, put it on your phone background. Put it on your wall. Live by that truth. God is good and what he does is good. And yet that truth will be one of the most contested things in our lives as we consider the world. Sometimes it is going to be a struggle for us to hold on to the goodness of God as we see the chaos of creation. Habakkuk is a man wrestling with this. We've begun a three-week series 
and it's exploring the book of Habakkuk. And we've come to chapter two, but last week we considered how Habakkuk was wrestling with the world around him and wrestling with God. He was living at a time under King Jehoiakim. It's in the 700 BCs. And under this king, the nation had gone to ruin. They had turned away from God, and so God wasn't blessing them. And Habakkuk talks about the violent, um, the violent and the unjust triumphing over the righteous. And he wrestles with this, and he, it's like, Lord, why is this? Why, how long can this go on? Why? If you were like this, if you were good, if you were sovereign, if you have all control, or if you're in charge, why is this happening? Now, God replies to Habakkuk, if you remember, and God replied to Habakkuk in chapter 1 to say, my justice will be had. The Lord says, I'm at work and I'm in charge. But what the Lord said to Habakkuk was that actually, I'm at work and in charge by raising up the Babylonians. And the Babylonians described in great detail as a ruthless and wicked people. But the Lord says, I'm raising them up to judge my people. So the Lord says, my justice will be had, but I'm allowing the wicked to prosper to bring it about. Now, I wonder if, like me, last week, as we, and maybe if you hear that now, or maybe you heard that last week, that is potentially difficult for us to heal, for us to hear, excuse me. Um, but what I found particularly com- comforting is that because Habakkuk is a dialogue between God and the prophet, Habakkuk also struggled with God's reply. And you could read this if you want to for yourself. Uh, this verse 12 to 17 of chapter 1, which we don't have on the sheets, but you could go back to. So God responds with, I'm at work and I'm in control through the Babylonians. And Habakkuk goes, why do you tolerate treacherousness? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? So God speaks to him and he says, hang on, what? You're doing what? You're working how? Why do you tolerate this? Why are you silent? Why are you not speaking? So God replies to Habakkuk, but actually prompts more questions in him. And his perplexity is that how can all of this violence and injustice, how can this possibly bring out the sovereignty and power and glory of God? God shows that he has all authority, that he is good. But the prophet goes, well, I don't see that. And maybe we will encounter that too in our lives. Maybe our response is the same. Maybe sometimes we find it hard to reconcile the sovereignty of God with the suffering of the world. But what did we declare? We declared at the beginning there that God is good. The word declares that, that God is good. That he is trustworthy. And in Jesus, God is trustworthy. This is where I ended last week. In, In Jesus, we can trust God. Jesus has come. He has suffered for us to put an end to all suffering. And he is coming again. And there will one day be a day when there is no more pain and no more sickness and no more suffering. And God will make all things new. So we can trust God in that thing, in that place, from that truth. But in the meantime, how are we to live it out? What does it mean to live a life that trusts God? Because we might assent to the truth. Oh yes, I trust God. If I say to you, God is trustworthy, you might say, well yes, you are sort of paid to say that. Or might say, yes, it is in the word. Okay, yes, God is trustworthy. But what does it mean to live that out? What does it mean to live a life that says, I put my trust in God, not just with our words or our intellectual assent, but with our lives? That's where we're going tonight. What does it look like to live a life that trusts God? And Habakkuk has some things to say to us. The first is this. A life of trust is to pursue righteousness. Now, I've chosen the word righteousness because we see it in verse 4. I could have chosen holiness 
or goodness. But what we're saying is, a life that trusts God is a life that pursues living in a way that reflects the righteousness and glory of God. Because um, I don't know if you found like me, I found um, the reading quite heavy going. And what God does in it is basically contrast two ways of living. There's the way of the righteous, but then there is certainly the way of the unrighteous. And our encouragement to choose righteousness is shown in the kind of living that God condemns. So I've summarized it for us because it is some long passages. And there's a lot that God condemns here. But um, if we could have the first slide. The first thing that God condemns is selfish ambition. I see this in verses 6 to 8. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. So God is saying, woe to you if you get prosperous at the expense of others. But then also, uh, God condemns false security. This is, I see this in verse 9. Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain to set his nest on high, to escape the clutch of ruin. So God is saying, woe to you if you put your trust in anything other than me. But then also God condemns the violent. Verse 12. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed. That is, so building something that actually is achieved through harm to other people. God says, woe to you. Verse 15 to 17, exploitation. Woe to him who gives drinks to his neighbours so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. Manipulating and abusing others. And then finally, idolatry. I see this in verse 19. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life. Can it give guidance? So this is trusting in man-made things for salvation and for life instead of God. Now the reason... We see the reason we read this in chapter two, and the reason we see this is because Habakkuk has gone to said and say, "How can the the unrighteous? How can the wicked possibly be prospering? Why do you tolerate the treacherous?" He says, and this is God's reply. He's saying, "I absolutely do not tolerate the treacherous." Verse four, he describes the puffed up people. He says he is puffed up, and he's talking about the Babylonians. And God assures Habakkuk that this prideful, arrogant, selfish. Um, violent, exploitative, idolatrous people, he says they will not prosper. This is God's reply to Habakkuk. He says, these people who live this way, they shall not prosper. Now, as we consider what it is to hold up the goodness of God with the chaos of creation, we can take encouragement and we can take comfort from the fact that God is angry at injustice. Let's just take the example of exploitation. I mean, one of the charities we support is International Justice Mission, who work all around the world and do the hard work to end human trafficking, to end especially human slavery, to end child abuse. And those things, those exploitative things, they grieve the heart of the Lord. And they grieve the heart of the Lord in Habakkuk's day, and they still grieve God today. And God says to those people to who they exploit, he says, I will have justice He says, woe to you. Woe to you. That word means watch out. If you continue to live in this way, you shall be judged. You shall reap the consequences of what you sow. Woe to you. But I wonder as you hear that, how that might match up to your idea of God. I wonder if we are ever tempted to try and contrast the God of the Old Testament with the God of the New Testament. As if the God of the Old Testament is all fire and brimstone. And then the God of the New is love, sunshine, lollipops, all the good stuff. Instead, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you know who says, woe to you more than anyone else in the Bible? It's Jesus. Jesus warned people more than anyone else 
Woe to you. Matthew 23, 13, for example. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He say, watch out, be warned, that if you continue to pursue this path, you'll be judged. And so, God says to us, live a life that doesn't match anything like this. Pursue righteousness. Pursue holiness. But what I find quite challenging, if I'm honest, about the list if we could have it up, Malcolm, is that I can probably see my life in at least three of them, if I'm honest. But I could probably indirectly get to all of them. So selfish ambition, false security, and idolatry. If I really think about what my life is like and some of the things I put my trust in, maybe I could identify with this as well. Let's just take the first one, ambition, selfish ambition. So I'm trained to be a vicar, and one day, by God's grace, I'll lead a church. And as I was thinking about this, I was just sort of letting it bottom out a bit and I was like actually in me there is an ambition to lead a great church I want to lead a great church sort of whisper it okay admit it now I think there's something of the Lord in that I want to lead something that reflects his goodness that actually reflects the power of the gospel that reflects you know transformed lines but in the way that only God can do but as I hear these words I'm sort of asking myself in my ambitions Is there something in there about actually doing something for my own glory and not for God's? And I find it really challenging. You know, what if God calls me to the Shetland Isles and says, Tim, you're going to lead a very small congregation comprised mainly of sheep. (laughs) Woe to you. (laughs) As God's holy people, We must choose to live holy lives. It's all kinds of behaviours. We don't lie, we don't gossip, we don't watch porn, we don't overeat, we don't fiddle our taxes, we don't get drunk. The list could go on and on. We pursue righteousness. And this is one of the ways that we live out trust in God. Why is that? Well, it's ultimately because pursuing righteousness comes from trusting in the righteousness of Jesus and not in our own good works. So please don't hear me wrong. As I say, actually, we must choose to pursue righteousness and holiness and flee some kinds of living. We don't do those things to try and rack up points on our heavenly club card in some way, to try and get in. Instead, we trust in Jesus. We are not saved by our works. We have been saved by grace, and this is through faith, so that no one can boast. And now, enabled by grace... Motivated by the love God has shown us, we now live out the kind of lives that God is calling us to live. And in doing so, we demonstrate trust in God and not in ourselves. You could sum up the Babylonians, all the wickedness which chapter 2 describes. You could sum it up as, um, in verse 4, he talks about, see, the enemy is puffed up. Puffed up, arrogant, self-sufficient. And these people, you know, we don't want to be people who live our lives and do everything we can do in our own strength to make us safe and to make us happy. And crucially, we must never do that at the expense of other people, which is what God condemns the Babylonians for. A life of trust looks like pursuing righteousness in Jesus. But also, a life of truth, a life of trust, means to live by faith. To live by faith. This is the great contrast of this chapter too. The life of the unrighteous described in some fairly graphic detail. But also we read this in verse 4. 
See, his, he is puffed up, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by faith. This is such an important verse. It is actually quoted three more times in the Bible. It's first quoted in Romans 1.17, and the context there is um, Paul saying, righteousness comes by faith for Jews and Gentiles. So basically, everyone, because if you're not a Jew, then you're a Gentile. And he says, for Jews and Gentiles, right standing with God comes by faith. And then he continues it in Galatians 3, and he says, we're not justified by the law, but by faith. So why on earth would you go adding the law to your faith? So why would you go adding dietary requirements? Why would you go adding circumcision to when your right standing with God came through faith? And then in Hebrews 10.38, it quotes it again, and that leads us into the great chapter on faith. And Hebrews 11 basically says that everyone who's ever lived and has been right with God has done so by faith. From Abraham all the way through the Old Testament, it has always been faith. This is how, what it means to live as a Christian. To live as a follower of God is to live by faith. And until we get to see God face to face, this is how we will continue to live. The Babylonians are puffed up, full of themselves, and their desires are not honourable, but those who are considered righteous by God will live by faith. Now what is faith? As we want to live lives that live out trust in God, what does, it, what does this show us about faith? I want to suggest it shows three things. Firstly, a faithful life is a life that is expectant of what God will do. Habakkuk says this, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. I'll stand at my watch. I will look to see. So Habakkuk, there's an earnest waiting, an active waiting for God's word. And also there's perseverance because he says, I will wait for the Lord. Waiting until God speaks. Now this could be a whole sermon in and of itself. But our expectancy will change, radically change our lives. Our expectancy changes how we show up to something. It will change, you know, if you go into your workplace expectant for God to move. If you come to church expectant for God to move. As you see your family, every area of your life. If you come up expectant, it changes your perspective. Because expectancy prepares us to spot what God is already doing. It positions us to see what God is doing. Did you notice where Habakkuk has placed himself? He says, I've placed myself on the ramparts. So he's climbed to the high place to look over the land. And expectant faith does the same thing. It positions us to see the coming kingdom of God. And this is so important as we think about trying to hold on to the goodness of God when we see suffering in the world. Because if we place ourselves in a position of expectant faith, that we're in a position to already see what God is doing, it's actually to have our eyes open to what God might be doing, even if it seems very small. It's so important. Expectant faith, but also faith, as Habakkuk shows us, is submissive. The end of verse 1 says, I will look to see what he will say to me, what answer I am to give to this complaint. But also, this can be translated, uh, I will look to see what he will say to me, and what to answer when I am rebuked. The NIV chooses the first one, but it could also very easily be translated, when I am rebuked. And other translations will say, when I am reproved or when I am corrected. And it's like Habakkuk has recognised that before the Lord, he has been very, very bold. He's been totally honest. Now, as I encouraged us last week, and I would encourage you again, honest prayer is so important before the Lord. Getting real with God. And in fact, I think it takes some time to get real with God. Don Carson talks about we need to pray until we actually start praying. 
He says that most of us, when we pray, are like little kids running up to a doorbell, knocking it or ringing it, and then running away again. And most of us, actually, we need to pray until we get real with God and get over like the sort of formality of it, and we just get totally real with him. But also, as we do that, we must do it from a position of humility, recognizing who we are before God. And this is what Habakkuk does. He says, I will wait to hear what the Lord will say to me, even if it is actually to be something that is a correction to me. Faith is a submissive thing, but also it's responsive. The Lord replies to him in verse 2 to say, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets. And you know what? Habakkuk did this. He did write it down. How do I know that? Because we've got a copy of it. (laughs) Because we're reading his words. Expectant faith, submissive faith, responsive faith. I'd love my life to look like that. Again, as I read this though, I'm quite aware that my life does often not much up with that. That actually I need to give more of my life to God, that I need to live more of it by faith. This is demonstrated um, as I cast my mind back when I was travelling. And um, I had a chance to go travelling when I was 18 uh, with actually my friend John, who happens to be here tonight. Hi John, sorry for the shout out mate. Um, we had a chance to go around the world. We were blessed. We got a chance to save up some money and go traveling. And in that, we went to lots of different countries and we took something like eight different flights. And on the final flight, it was going from New York back to London. And all had gone fine. And then we got on it and I had one of those window seats and I could see the wing of the plane. And at some point, probably about 20 minutes into the flight, I sort of looked out and went, oh, there's something streaming out of the wing of the plane. There's something sort of clear, fluid-like. What's that? Oh, and the plane seems to be descending. What's, uh, what's going on here then? And over the intercom, the stewardess said, well, we're going to have to make a landing back in New York. And I thought, okay, that's really... I just got really annoyed. I was like, okay, we're just going to be late at this point. You know, we're going to be late. What's happening? And then when we go off the plane, and I remember this quite clearly, because we came off, and then as we walked out, there were glass windows, and we could see the plane. And on the front windscreen was a huge crack where a bird had hit it. And the plane therefore had to make an emergency jettison of all its fuel and get back to land. And the thought that came to my mind there was, goodness me, I did not even pray about this flight. I just got on it going, yeah, it'll be fine. And because in that moment of fear, I was like, oh, goodness me, I should be praying for protection. I should be giving this to the Lord. How easily I'll just go about my life not giving it to God. I would love to live more of my life by faith. I'd love to trust more of my life to God. Would you? Would you like to live by faith? Would you like to live expectantly? Would you like to live in obedience and submission to God? Responsive to his word and his command to you? This is the way of trusting God. So God is trustworthy. We live out trust by pursuing righteousness, living by faith, but also as we choose hope. We choose to live with the hope of God's authority. We might struggle with the certainty of God's judgment that we read in this kind of passage. As we read in Habakkuk, God basically describes two ways of living, the righteous or the unrighteous, and all will be judged. But we also not just see the certainty of God's rule, but the, sorry, excuse me, we don't just see the certainty of his judgment, but the certainty of his rule. So Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross for us, Uh, was put in the grave but God then raised him up to the highest place and now over everything in all the universe Jesus has the name above all names and at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess this is the present reality under which we live God's rule and reign verse 20 says this 
but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. We love that quote, don't we? Be still and know that I'm God. And we often uh, will use it in that sort of intimate language. Maybe we're in our bedroom, maybe we're at church, you know, be still. But the kind of stillness that the Lord talks about here is that actually it's one of like awestruck reverence before the Lord who rules over all creation. And the way of faith and the way of trust is trusting in this present reality that we read about in Scripture. The present reality of Jesus' rule and reign over all things. What an amazing truth to live by. There is nothing in your life that is not under the feet of Jesus. There is nothing in your life. Think about somewhere like your workplace. I wonder if you find it hard to go from somewhere like this that seems so full of the presence of God and then to go somewhere like your workplace. Can I encourage you that Jesus is Lord of your work and he is Lord of your family and he is Lord of your life. There is nothing in this universe that does not come under his authority. And yet, that is our challenge, isn't it? Because Jesus reigns over everything. But at the moment, this world only reflects that in a small way, doesn't it? We stand between what Wimber called the now and the not yet of the kingdom, where there is a certain truth now. There is a present reality of Jesus' authority, and yet we don't see it in full. The world is not as it should be. The world is not as it should be. Can we acknowledge that? Maybe you were here last week and you heard about God raising up the Babylonians and God in doing so indirectly causing suffering. But can we not mistake ourselves that God somehow causes all suffering? The world is not as God intended it to be right now. God creates a world that is good, that is without sin. Jesus comes and heals everybody of their sins. Jesus doesn't say to anyone, I'm going to leave you with that internal bleeding because I think it's good for your character. Jesus heals everyone. And then, in Revelation, we read about a time when heaven will come to earth, all things will be made new, and there will be no more sickness or pain or suffering. But at this point, we are to pray, your will be done. Your kingdom come. And we are to trust in the present reality of Jesus' rule. But also, the way of hope is to trust in the future certainty. As verse 14 says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There is a day coming when everyone will recognize Jesus. There is a day coming when everyone will recognize Jesus as Lord and all injustice and violence, all those things that Habakkuk was crying out for, all those things that we cry out for, they will come to an end. This is our hope. And this is why the righteous will live by faith because it is faith that is able to see God even though in this world that is it once so dark, I will trust that you are the light of the world. It takes faith to say, it's like faith seeing the gold, it's like panning for gold. This is an image that just comes to my mind. It's like seeing in the dirt, there's actually something that could be precious here. It's looking at a barren wasteland and saying, I see something amazingly growing. It's able to see the potential and the beauty of God's kingdom even when we don't see it in this life. So it's going to your workplace and going to those colleagues and saying, actually, you are children of God. You are loved. You are beloved by God. You have amazing potential. You have an amazing destiny through faith. One day, 
the earth will, be, earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But until that time, we live by faith. That is the way of trust. Billy Graham died last week. Amazing evangelist. And he said this. Someone asked me recently if I didn't think God was unfair, allowing me to have Parkinson's and other medical problems when I have tried to serve him faithfully. I replied that I did not see it that way at all. Suffering is part of the human condition, and it comes to us all. The key is how we react to it, either turning away from God in anger and bitterness, or growing closer to him in trust and confidence. How we react to the world is so important. And can I encourage us that we have to be people that live and trust God? who pursue righteousness, who live by faith, who live in hope. And we hold on to the goodness and glory of God, even if the world does not reflect that. Why don't we pray together? Lord, we thank you for your hope, and we thank you for your light, and we thank you that we can see signs of your coming kingdom. And the first thing we can see is in our lives when they're made new by you. And Lord, we pray that as you've spoken to us tonight, that you would continue to challenge us and encourage us and fill us by you with your spirit. Lord, I pray you would help us trust you. Lord, I pray you would help us worship you. And Lord, I pray that we would choose to pursue righteousness. I pray that you would grow in our faith in us, that we would live in hope. Amen.